All right, now we're live. And we're live. <laughs> How's nice. it going? Yeah, well. good. Um, well, I'll let you. Oh, yeah, no, sure. Yeah, so, uh, like... yeah, so welcome, for everybody, to Where Am I Going podcast. Uh, Brenda and Christina weren't able to make it, so I got my buddy Zach here. We're going to have up, a little chat. Yeah. So, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going good. I just came straight here from the barbershop. Um, I, I, I like how I, I am actually able to see that camera on the little selfie screen there a little bit. I kind of feel like I'm on a casting couch. Um, about to hit porn. Yeah, I was going to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's no, model will be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, you asked me to fill in for um, the two people that weren't going to make it today. And I was like, well, I got some ideas of things that we could talk about. Yeah. So, no, I think um, there's some good topics. Yeah. So actually, yesterday I was at work and um, I don't know how we got on the topic of podcasting in general. Oh, I brought up this Alex Jones rant. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on Joe Rogan and he just had this great rant where he's like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm, I'm kind of retarded. And then he talks about like live baby abortions and stuff like that. It's pretty nuts. Oh, Anyways, it's just a whole crazy oh, tangent. That whole thing where they're like, like there's that argument that like, um, people either do or they should be doing like once they're actually birth killing them or something like that. It was that. like late term abortion. This guy, he's a conspiracy theorist, but okay. the whole point of it is it brought up the idea of podcasting and I was talking to uh, one of my coworkers about it, I have some pretty similar equipment actually, um, but I haven't really made any use of it. Yeah. And so then we just kind of got on the topic of like, you know, if you had a podcast, what would some topics be? So it's funny that you asked because I was just in like some way kind of brainstorming for some of this nice. stuff. Um, and I, I know I gave you a list of topics. Uh, I'm trying to think of what that list was. When we were in the no, bar the yeah. other night, we talked about, oh, we talked like, about so much stuff. Yeah, one of the big ones was like uh, childhood relationships. Um, you know, specifically, I kn- I can think of like four or five people off the top of my head where mm. um, they've dialed into like their specific relationships with their fathers and how that changed mm. their life. I think that's always an interesting one to talk to people about. Yeah. Because um, like as we're getting older, I think we're all starting to kind of look inward and see or like get some insights out of like what our childhood was like and how we can compare it to other people and what you see in uh films and things like that too it's like you draw all all of that in and reflect oh, for sure yeah yeah and uh and we start thinking about talking about drugs and stuff and yeah the regulations yeah. And i did look up some of that stuff over in oregon and stuff it's kind of wild actually it's pretty crazy so it's like so i mean what we were talking about in the store when i was talking about with my coworkers is like you know if you so like the the whole war on drugs right yeah um basically you know, you, you want to stop the problems associated with drug addicts where you have a lot of theft, you have murder, senseless killing, stuff like that. Um, also, a lot of homelessness, mm-hmm. broken families, all these things are, are, you can look at them as stemming from a drug problem, sure. right? And so the war on drugs is like, we're going to fight drugs themselves and and make it this big criminal thing. Um, but there's huge problems with that. And so it's, you know, instead of focusing on, what was the example I gave them? If you're getting repeated infections, okay, and mm-hmm. you, you go see a doctor, like, yeah, they're going to give you antibiotics and clear up the infection. Sure. But if you come back two weeks later and you have an infection again, 
like, of course, we're going to have to do antibiotics again and clear up the infection. But now we need to start looking at why are you getting this infection yeah. over and over and over? What's the actual cause? Not What's the, the cause? The, the symptoms. Yeah. And yeah. so the analogy, like, the, I don't know if that's a perfect analogy or not, but how I was relating that to drug use is like, you have someone who's addicted to drugs and yeah, they're doing all these other things, like all the, all the criminal exports that come out of being a drug user or being a drug dealer or whatever. But what is the root cause of drug use in the first place? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it is like escapism. Um, people are not happy with their lives or their relationships. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of like, what, what did they used to say? Um, not even once. Right. Yeah. Like, because it's going to hook you and you're yep. just, and the, the substance itself is pure evil and you're going to do it once and be hooked and you'll be a drug addict. Yeah. It's demonized. I mean, yeah. that's, you can even look at that with like say marijuana, which has become legalized quite a bit across many states. Yeah. And even still coming up in an era of marijuana is evil. You're a delinquent. You're, you know, you're no good. You're going to go to prison, all this stuff. Even still being somebody who like myself will have an edible from time to time or whatever. Yeah, there's still in the back of my mind going a little bit of judgment on others. Yeah, even though I'm sitting there going, who are like heavier users or like lifestyle users? users. Lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and even still, I'm like, like fundamentally, I know that is not cool to judge. It's not right to judge them. Yeah, you know, I have no space to or anything. And there's not really nothing wrong with it. You know, that's funny because I I get um. So I used to smoke pot in mm -hmm. high school when it was illegal yeah. and I would get it from like known gang members, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like super low quality. Sure. Um, took a long break from it because I got a, a job as a forklift driver where I was drug tested. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to college in Wenatchee, I was like, why not? You know, and, yeah. and it was still it, it was like in the process of becoming legal, but it wasn't legal yet. OK. And so there was a medical marijuana dispensary and somebody had a green card and that's how we were getting it. Sure. And but the people that I was like connected to this green card access for marijuana, I didn't really enjoy their company. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I would smoke with them, which was like anytime I smoked, I just I just didn't like it. I, mm -hmm. I was I was like, I and not to be that judgy of them because they were pot users. It's just, it was a lifestyle for them and they had sure. nothing else going, nothing going on. on. Like yeah. there wasn't a whole lot, like, you know, they were, they were going to school on daddy's money mm. and it, it was kind of like, almost like they kind of felt like they had to do it. And so I just think there wasn't a lot going on for them and I didn't enjoy their company. And so I gave it up again. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until, um, I mean, I tried like the little vape pens and stuff here, sure. there, but I came back to Spokane or I came to Spokane for the first time, moved here and like, it's legal now. There's a pot shop on basically every corner. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, <so> real though. <laughs> and now for one, I think the weed is much stronger now than what I had experienced in my early days. So I know like, because I don't use it very frequently, mm -hmm. I have essentially a zero tolerance at all times, zero tolerance at all times. Every time I use it, it's like the first time. Yeah. It's just well, so gonna, strong. I was going to say, like, I've talked to many people who they, you know, they're recreational wake and bakers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, they probably are growing their own stuff to keep up with the supply and demand that they have on their routine use. Right. And a lot of people that I've spoken to, they'll go, I'll say, oh, do you do edibles? Because they'll ask me if I want to smoke. And I'm going, mm, I don't want to smoke at all, you know? Yeah. And they go, I go, but I'll do an edible if you want. And they go, I don't want to do an edible. That shit hits harder than 
than That's smoking. It, and it's unpredictable as to when yeah. it's going to hit. Or There's whatever. like a whole different chemical process yeah. that happens with that. So the whole thing now where it's like, even when I smoke or do an edible, I do get this sense of like, you know, people associate the marijuana high with paranoia, right? Mm, yeah. But I get this feeling of like, others are judging me. People who know and love me, mm that I know don't really have a problem with weed or me smoking it and know that I'm not a heavy user or a lifestyle user, however yeah. you want to say it. Um, I do get this sense that like, you know, like with, with cherry, even like if I, if I was to take an edible and then she came home and like, I'm all dopey or whatever, mm -hmm. like I kind of have this feeling that I'm like, she doesn't like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which I've rarely done that in the past, but definitely one of the, uh, most frequent times that I'll ever use edibles is like right before I'm going to get on a plane. Mm, Cause yeah. I kind of just want to check out yeah. and yeah. But, but the whole, the, the point of what I was saying where oh, I sure. um, was talking about like not even once, it's usually more directed at like hard drugs. Mm -hmm. And I know plenty of people who have myself included who have tried and experimented with hard drugs and didn't end up with a hard drug addiction or, you know, really any addiction. Um, and, and so it's i mean i know that's anecdotal evidence but there's not a lot of evidence to show that like one time you're hooked maybe heroin i don't know i've never yeah. done heroin but yeah. um the 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 policies that we have to incriminate people who are essentially a victim mm -hmm. of drugs in general um and the people who are making them and distributing them they the people who use them are the victims and there's a reason why they're seeking drugs and that's where policy should be directed to change that um, sure. be because that's what's going to make drug use and crime and, and violence related to drugs go away is not making it harder to get drugs and criminalizing people because you know what happens when you go to jail on a on a drug case is you learn how to be a better criminal mm -hmm. and so you come out with this mindset, like the world is against me and I have to fight ev tooth and nail every time. Yeah. And you know, you look at like what some other countries have done and I don't think that anybody has got a perfect system yet. Um, but Portugal completely decriminalized, um, all drugs, mm -hmm. everything. And so if you're caught with it on you, like it's nothing like I, I know that they're with the, police in europe there's a little bit more bribery that goes on sure. and this is again anecdotal stuff i do have a friend in spain um that has told me some of this stuff but at least at the policy level it's like this is not something that's gonna put you in jail and blacklist you from ever being employable again yeah um and what they did instead in portugal is the money that would have been invested into like essentially their dea and you know criminalizing drug users at, at, at that level, mm -hmm. they instead shifted that to creating places for people to go so that, you know, one, they can safely use drugs, they can get support. And the good thing about that, I know there's something in Seattle where there's like safe injection sites or there was, I was going to say when I was in um, college, uh, this is probably about almost 10 years ago. Now my advisor she's uh, my degrees in public health. And so my advisor, she's a doctorate in public health and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, a pretty incredible woman, uh, that's very active in like the Spokane area for, you know, health and wellness, uh, women's rights, et cetera, et cetera. She was telling us that Spokane was pioneering a safe needle exchange as well as a safe place to 
you know, do drugs. Yeah. And there was a huge uproar about it of, you know, now you're enabling them. Now you're allowing us. But it was like, it, it's that triage and also kind of what's critical versus what's important. Yeah. And yeah, it's important to get people from being addicted to drugs to where it's harming their life or others around them. Right. But the critical thing was if they, if people are using dirty needles, they're just making other illnesses. Yep. And you're putting a a larger demand on like the medical hospital industry because it's like, yeah, you see a a rise in bloodborne illnesses. And this is inverse to what Portugal and some other country, I want to say it's either Sweden or Switzerland Mm -hmm. where they had, they had a pretty big opium and heroin problem. Mm -hmm. And so they implemented this like basically injection clinics um, where lab made heroin Mm -hmm. you go there you get it for free and you can inject right there and everything's clean and the the thing is is it's like people see this as you're enabling them but what it does is you've taken away the stigma and Mm -hmm. the dangers associated with this drug and you're doing it in a controlled environment and that just opens up the door for more resources and more solutions it's like Say you're a heroin user who came, you know, you're from the U.S. Yep. And you, you know, you've had to be homeless. You've been shunned by society. You, you're a slave to your addiction. So you need that drug so bad, you know, mentally, psychologically, whatever, that you're willing to share a needle with somebody who yep. happens to have some and you're exposing yourself to all these illnesses, right? Yep. And take that same person and put them in one of these places where they have safe injection sites now they can start to think about other options yeah. because it's readily accessible for them. And those places are built with the safety and, you know, the well-being of the addict mm-hmm. built in, in mind when they, when they created these things. So they're going to have resources and tell people about like, Hey, like here's, you know, who you can like a support group, mm-hmm. um, you know, all, all these alternative things that you can do to try and get off the drug. And what they ended up seeing is, first of all, decrease in bloodborne pathogens and other illnesses associated with, um, you know, hard drug use. Um, And then secondly, they saw an overall decrease in drug use over time. And so you look at the war on drugs and it's just in the drug use has just increased Mm -hmm. and methods of producing drugs has increased. And then you get, you know, opportunists stepping on the drugs and basically diluting it with potentially harmful substances. The, The thing about fentanyl. Okay. So people used to consider cocaine as the hard drug that, the hard drug that is a fun, good time and don't worry too much about it. Like Mm -hmm. everyday people use cocaine and no one bats we an eye. put in soda. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, how, yeah. No one bats an eye, even though it is a hard drug. Um, the, the thing is, now you see high-profile people with lots of money and lots of connections, celebrities, businessmen, whatever, overdosing on fentanyl-laced cocaine. Yeah. And so, logically, if you think about it, these people with all this money and connections— they're not getting clean cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, and and then if you watch some of these like vice documentaries and stuff, like it'll show you that the people who are producing cocaine, they're like low wage farmers. Like they're not making a lot of money, mm-hmm. but the cartel is coming in, getting that product and then distributing it. That's where the value comes from is that it's made in a place 
and then brought to a place where it's really hard to get. So yep. it becomes a lot more valuable. Supply and demand. Yep. They're adding the fentanyl at the source. Mm. So there's no way you're getting clean cocaine anymore. There's probably still some places where it's not being pushed to add fentanyl to it. But mm. fentanyl is uh, one of the most potent opioids. It's highly addictive and that's that's one of the way that they ways that they can make cocaine more enticing to an addict even if the addict isn't aware yeah. that the fentanyl is in there yeah bring it back to the safe injection sites and such um and the idea behind it of providing a safe space i attribute not attribute, i i correlated to or related to the same idea as i don't know if you've ever had these friends in high school or whatever but they were the friends that had parents who said if you want to have a party have a party here. If you want yeah. to drink, drink here. If yeah. you're going to have sex with somebody, have sex here. Mm-hmm. And it was a safe space. And it was the parents and the child. They, I mean, they didn't need to know the gory details of any of it. Right. But it was, if you are going to do this thing, I don't want you to do it. Yeah. But if you do it here, if something happens, I can help. You. I can help you. Yeah. And if something happens that you feel ashamed of, or that scares you, or you don't want to do anymore, or you just find yourself in a space that you don't want to be in anymore. I am here. Yeah, you've already done it. You already have that, you know, own, we'll say self-inflicted shame and guilt. Right. But it's a safe space for you to be here so that now I, as the parent, or I, as the per, you know, parent in this situation, yeah, am here so that when you decide that this has become too much, you let me know and I'm going to help you stop or help, help you get away from these help people get or get situation. out of the situation. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who let's say, you know, you're a kid who has parents who are uninvolved, not around and seemingly just don't care, but all the while they're sitting there telling you, don't go party, don't get drunk, don't do drugs, right. you know, whatever. So you go off to another party at somebody's house and you're lying to your parents because obviously they don't want you going to a party. So you're not going to tell them. Yeah. And you find yourself in a situation um, where you're being assaulted in one form or another. Mm. And then you have the fear of like, now I fear. need help, but I'm so I also scared. don't want, you're mm-hmm. so scared because they told me not to do it. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Like I never actually thought to equate those two scenarios, mm-hmm. but my parents were to, to a certain degree, they were like that. Yeah. Um, definitely with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Maybe not any of the other stuff. Pretty yeah. against all the other stuff. Yeah. Oh, but, no, my parents were like, don't have sex until, until you're yeah. an adult. But it you'll was get, like this. You'll get somebody pregnant. And I'm like. Yeah. Well, definitely <laughs> with drugs. Like drugs was not something that like if you're going to do drugs, do them yeah. here. It was like, no, no, no. Yeah. And and I understand that. But with alcohol, it was like, you know, I came from a small town. Mm-hmm. It was really, really simple to get alcohol. It was probably yeah. easier to get alcohol than it was to, you know, like get anything you know what i mean like it was just so available to us and cigarettes too and th- they pretty much took the the stand of like you know if you want to do it you're going to do it whether we okay it or not like yeah. there's nothing we can say about it if you want to do it we can't stop you because you're going to go to school you're going to see other people you're not always going to yeah. be locked in this cage yeah and so you they can't prevent your access to something right so they pretty 24/7. much told me like yeah. just you know, be safe. Let us know what you're doing, who you're going to be with. You know, if you can do it here, do it here because it's better than you guys out being somewhere and then you want to drive home so that we're not upset with you or whatever and you drive yeah, drunk and get exactly. killed. Yeah. And so 
yeah, I never thought about it like that, but it equates to the whole like safe injection site idea. Mm-hmm. And, th- and the thing is, is I always say strict parents create sneaky kids. Yes, and very much so. I was my, a sneaky kid. My, well, like, my younger brother is a, is the poster child of it. My older brother and I, um, I thought he and I were pretty sneaky. Uh, but my younger brother was very much, but the, the thing is with him is he was very honest and upfront for the longest of time. Yeah. All the while, my older brother and I were very sneaky about things and it was stupid shit too. It wasn't anything reckless. Like I never drank or smoked or anything in high school or any of that stuff, but it was stupid shit. It would be like, um, I remember one time, so I was, I was an athlete, ran cross country, was really good. And my normal pattern in the mornings was getting up at 5 a.m. and going on a run, like going to yeah. the high school, going on a run with a couple of my buddies who were on the team as well to the point where I'm like, my parents know my pattern. They know that I'm doing this. Right. And then um, uh, there was a gal in my senior year that I spent, started spending time with. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go on a run first thing early in the morning. Right. And then and I was going know to meet up different. with her. Yeah. And they wouldn't know yeah. any different. All the while, my younger brother, you know, he's trying to just fucking live and exist and he has her stepfather coming inside accusing him of like taking too many too much dessert or candy or some shit from wherever they store it from and he's like i didn't do this like why am i getting in trouble and i didn't do anything to the point where he's like fuck it you start becoming the enemy that everyone made you out to be and that is exactly like the addict mind when society shuns you you can't get jobs you can't get you know you can't get housing Mm -hmm. so if you if you get caught up on a, a a felony case for drugs, yeah, when you come out of that and you start trying to rent housing, there's very limited options for you. And what yeah. ends up happening is that all of the felons who can't get housing at these other places, mm-hmm. they kind of end up congregated at the ones that do allow felons. Yep. And so now you're trying to distance yourself from people who you know are not going to be good for you. Yep. And you're stuck that's in the, the apartment complex. That's with them. the part of town that people tell you not to go to, stay away yeah. from it. Not because, not because it's dangerous, yeah. But because that's where the lesser people are. That's where the because and they'll say it's dangerous or whatever. That's where the lesser people are, right? Because the only As places they're allowed. As society, yeah. And it's like the the war on drugs very quickly became the war on drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that you know El Chapo said mm-hmm. this like. Drugs will not stop coming into the United States nope. until people in the United States stop buying drugs. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. It, the way we're going about this has actually fueled the cartels and, and the drug producers. It's just made it yep. more more prevalent. And so the, bringing it back to sure. some of these topics that we you know brought up originally, like the, what's going on in Portugal, and I, I can't remember if it's Sweden or Switzerland, or maybe mm. it's both um, – and, and now what's happening in Oregon, the first state to completely decriminalize at the state level, yeah. um, drugs, like drug, drug use, um, having it on you, acquiring it, like there's not going to be any like 
sting so, ops or anything like that where yeah, they so see was, somebody. So I was doing a little bit of uh, reading just before you got here, just trying to uh, get a little bit more familiar with it. It's I can't remember. It's something 101 is the name of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's actually 111, I think. Bill 111. Maybe it was 111. Yeah. Is it 111? I can't remember. It might be 101. Might, I, I don't know. Right. I can't remember. It, but essentially what it is is like the you will get a civil fine if yep. you're caught with it, which is a maximum of $100. Yeah. And then you can even get out of that fine if you call – a, like an addiction hotline or something like that it and can enter a program and show that you're trying to pro yeah yep but so instead yeah. of like instead of like you know one-way ticket to jail and now mm. you're a felon yep. it's it's like we're gonna discourage this yep. but we're not gonna ruin your life over it and we're gonna give you an option yeah. to show that you're on the right path and trying to get better and yeah. that is by far a better policy so in that the article that I was uh, reading through I can, I can pull it up it was a magic trick. Got e your food. Eagle has landed. Eagle has landed. Uh, we were both wrong, actually. So we were we had all the right numbers. There was only two. What it's called is the measure one ten. Is what it's called. Okay, we yeah. knew there was two ones and a zero in there. Yeah, there was something <laughs> like that. So anyway, so in November twenty twenty, uh, Oregon, Oregon voters passed measure one ten, which decriminalizes the possession. Uh, for personal use of small amounts of all drugs, including cocaine, heroin, LSD, uh, meth, and oxycodone. Mm -hmm. Violators will receive a citation. Um, uh, there's a, a minor possession. If, uh, if you have a minor possession, violators will receive a citation of about $100 fine, which can be waived by calling a hotline to screen for substance use disorder. A year and a half later, the critics call... 110 ineffectual or even harmful claiming the black market remains vibrant while 110 eliminated serious penalties for personal use it did not legalize production in the sale of drugs uh, for example manufacturing or distributing heroin is a felony punishable by up to 20 years in prison and a hundred thousand dollar fine plus twice the amount gained through dealing mm -hmm. measure uh so Let's see here. Uh, 110 was not designed to eliminate the black market. Its purpose was to stop criminalizing drug use and addiction and arrest fewer people. Uh, and then it says, pro there, I'm skipping a lot through this, but just trying to get some of the highlights. Prohibition also incentivizes high potency produ uh, products because traffickers can more easily conceal these from law enforcement. Most consumers can easily assess potency uh, or cannot, sorry, cannot easily assess potency because reliable suppliers cannot legally advertise and consumers cannot sue over faulty or mislabeled products. So accidental overdoses from high potency drugs, especially those laced with fentanyl, are common under prohibition. So basically this, this measurement that they've taken, as I was uh, saying, before the magical food showed up, <laughs> um, it does not have the support essentially that's needed to, we'll say, be successful. But ultimately, the goal wasn't to um, uh, legalize. It was to legalize. The goal was to reduce arrests and felonies and those right. kind of things and again it comes back to the parents who are like if you're going to do it do it here it comes to the to the injection sites if you're going to do it do it here exactly um, i think the goal of that measure was to 
reduce the side effects of addiction yeah. at, at the level of the addict. Yeah. Whereas people were, you know, opposers to this or people who just don't understand it are looking at it more like, I thought this was going to solve the drug problem. Well, exactly. the drug problem is much more complex than that. And like you said, with, you know, since small amounts are decriminalized, you could say like, yeah, that incentivizes dealers to essentially consolidate and have more potent drugs on hand so that if they were to get caught by police, they have that kind of get out of jail pathway. Basically. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think that's entirely true because if you think about it, if you're okay, so you're a drug dealer, generally a drug dealer buys in bulk from a larger, let's say supplier, because this isn't a direct to addict or direct to consumer relationship. So sure. the dealer buys from a supplier, gets a larger quantity, mm-hmm. and then cuts up into little baggies. Almost always, they're going to add something to it to bulk in the product, right? Yeah. Because they're trying to get their money back. So there's not really there's there's not really incentive on the dealer's part to not step on it because they want to make more than what they paid for it from yeah. from the supplier. And even even to go as far as saying like, okay, they have more potent drugs, they're still carrying a lot of it because you're going to see more than one dealer or more than one consumer at a time. Yeah. Like if you're, you know, you're, you're starting your work day or whatever, like you've got baggies on you, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, you're going to have a lot of cash on you too. Cause these things, it's black market. These things yeah. are done in cash. And it's almost always that when, you know, this is what makes a cop's career. If they're able to pull someone over and find drugs and cash. Yep. And you've got to have that other component because, or like a scale. Mm-hmm. I was always told to um, never. So like when you go back in the days of illegal weed and you would go get an eighth or whatever, right? Sure. You kind of just have to go off what they said. Mm-hmm. Because if you had a scale with you, now you have weed and a scale and that looks like intent sure. to, yeah. you know, to distribute. And that that's a felony charge. Yep. So. I was always told, don't bring your scale. And that wasn't like... But that's also like, if you are you... If, sure, if you have a reliable dealer that you tr- trust or whatever, fine. But odds are, whoever you're dealing with or whoever's dealing it to you... Yeah. Like, they are already in a situation of being... Not all, but they could easily be in a gang. They... Or just a, like a gang. They could be in the... They're in a lifestyle of... People know they have money on them. Yeah. People are fucked up when they're showing up to get drugs from them. It's a dangerous role. It's a dangerous role. So at any point in time, they're expecting or anticipating the reality that the person that they're giving drugs to could attack them or whatever. So if you're showing up and you're sitting there like starting a confrontation of saying, this "This isn't isn't enough, this This isn't right, this is wrong. All right, fuck you. You know, they do something to you, take the drugs and walk away with the money and everything. And you're laying on the ground, battered and bruised or dead or whatever, you know, Yeah. or or who knows. Right. That's the the scary part is like you just don't know. And it's almost always the case that I mean, at least if we're looking at someone who I would consider professional, uh, a professional dealer, Mm -hmm. I've met lots of people who were like, it's kind of a side gig. They maybe don't really know what they're getting into. But people that I've dealt with that that consider it like a profession and mm-hmm. they're very serious about it and they're like, those are the only ones that I yeah. ever wanted to mess Salesman. with. Yeah. yeah, because 
you you want someone who's not going to screw you over and you want someone who's consistent mm-hmm. and just like any other transaction yeah these people are almost always in a higher position of power than the consumer is because the consumer first of all they have a drug habit they're yeah. spending a lot of their money on drugs the difference is the person who's a professional drug dealer has more to lose than the consumer yep. who's already at a low point in their life addicted to drugs that you never want to mess with somebody who has nothing to lose yeah. because well, they'll the other, do outlandish things. They'll yeah. attack you and they'll risk their lives for their fix. Yeah. Well, and, the, and then the person, as you said, the consumer, odds are everybody in their life already knows they're a, they're a consumer right. and they are in society, bottom of the barrel, They've been lost cause. shunned and pushed aside. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas this dealer, I mean, if they're showing up in a suit and tie, you know, I'm being dramatic there or, you know, yeah. uh, at the high level, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Like, and so like, you're right. They have way more to lose because mm-hmm. on the outside, everybody looking at them, they are a businessman with a nine to five. You, you know, know, it's crazy. You wouldn't even. Okay. So when I, when I lived in Wenatchee, mm-hmm. I, I had a little cocaine habit from when I was working in Quincy and everybody there just did cocaine. Moved to Wenatchee. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a thing. It was like a whole year that I lived in Wenatchee that I just didn't know anybody. And so I didn't do any cocaine. Mm-hmm. I never, I never felt like I had a cocaine addiction or a cocaine problem. Mm-hmm. Even when I said I had a little cocaine habit, it was just like, it was around a lot. And so I did it, Yeah, you know? Um, but when I moved to Wenatchee about a year after, um, I, I was going to this bar and I met some people that I like later be, kind of became friends with. And, and there was this one guy that was always there and everyone else would talk about their jobs, but he wouldn't. And so then when mm. I asked him what he did, like in the little smoker circle out back or whatever, you know, sure. he's like, I help people find things immediately. I was like, Oh, oh. you're a drug dealer. <laughs> I didn't say that to yeah. him, but I was like, so certain. Oh yeah. And, and as I'm growing this little friend group and like, they're starting to trust me more. Like one mm. of them invites me over to their house and this person, I worked with her. I It was well known that she had a cocaine problem. Mm. Lo and behold, here comes this guy that helps people, people find, find things. things yep. And he partied with us. But he was the supplier. He was yeah. the guy who, like, yeah, he was a nice guy. And we, yeah. we were all friendly with him. But I don't sure. know if that friendship would have been there if he wasn't the person who had drugs for them. And yeah. we were paying him. But, yeah. you know, so it was just like. You know, it could be unsuspecting people. This guy didn't look anything like, you know, TV drug dealers. He he was a tall, handsome white male, dressed very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and by very nice, I mean well put together. Not like he was wearing a suit. Sure. Um, but easy conversation, very yeah. sociable. Like I, I, you couldn't have like picked him out of a crowd and said that's the drug dealer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until you You'd heard him say, I help people, people find things. Yeah, like, you probably look at the people <laughs> that he deals to and being like, they're probably the ones. And right. he's sitting there yeah. like, yeah. he can't be the one. He looks completely different than them or he's right. probably just going to school or, yeah. Right. And I mean, even that visual aspect illustrates how the people who are the consumers or the drug mm-hmm. users are the victims. Yeah. Where you got this guy who no one would guess is the drug dealer very well put together, handsome, sociable. He's wearing nice clothes and everything. Mm-hmm. He's profiting off of their suffering. You know have, what I mean? Have you seen the show on Netflix? Uh, was it Good Girls? Mm-mm. So basically, uh, these three mothers, essentially, 
they all have ran into oh, some sort yeah. of life struggle, whether it be providing for their family, they're about to lose their home. Mm-hmm. One of them has a daughter who's or a son, I think, who's very sick and they need money for the the operation. And then the other the other woman who's the sister of one of them um, is has always been the black sheep the mm-hmm. you know getting in trouble goes out with the wrong guys gets into trouble whatever but they have their own child as well and through a series of events they essentially just be, start becoming the money launderers for the local drug dealer or right. whatever he is right and they kind of get in over their head and they yeah, get in I, over their head i've seen a little it, bit of it i think yeah, jerry was and, watching it yeah and the guy that they're interacting with he looks like the stereotypical part of what a drug dealer might look like, or at least question. He's a, he's a sketchy looking guy, questionable, right. whatever. Right. But he has a cousin or a brother or something. I think it's cousin who is a politician mm-hmm. and he's sitting there, you know, when you see, when you meet this guy in the show, you're like, okay, clearly he's the politician and he's kind of distancing himself from this family member who whatever he doesn't speak about what he does or whatever but he doesn't want to have anything to do with it and then more develops and everything and the next thing you know it's like oh no the reason why this guy is getting out of jail when he's being caught or why he's getting let off and let go originally you think oh it's just a politician helping out family members so they don't get right. drug into it no 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 he's the ringleader of it all as a politician but yeah. nobody would ever think twice about this guy is the head of whatever they're doing because suit and tie politician clean cut all this yeah. stuff you know so exactly so like your dealers are going to be the ones the ones in charge are going to be the ones who are the least suspecting you know yeah suspect. i mean anybody who's going to be successful because mm-hmm. you don't you don't get into this game knowing what you're doing right away mm-hmm. i met two dealers in mm-hmm. wenatchee one of them was the guy that I mentioned. Mm. The other one was a young kid, mm. younger than I was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say at the time, but still, he's younger than me. Still, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was, uh, this guy was still in high school. I was t- between 21 and 23 because I moved up here after around that time when I was 23. Okay. Um, and what's crazy is that like this guy was in high school, but he was making a boatload of money and he was to the T professional. Like he never screwed anybody over on, mm-hmm. on weights. He was always sharp on time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he picked really good locations and he made everything super low key. And it was like to anybody else, it looked like you were meeting up with a buddy. Mm-hmm. He's a young guy. Like, yeah. you know, young people get out and they have friends and stuff. But like this guy was balling, dude. Like, and honestly... He, I could tell that he was really smart, mm-hmm. and I don't remember his name, but I, I would just see him everywhere, and um, after I quit involving myself in that world, I was still in Wenatchee at the time when I was just like, okay, enough is enough. Like, I don't want to be involved in any of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just kept seeing him, seeing him around, and um, I remember I saw him at a tire shop, and I just asked him, like, how are things going, you know? He's still you know involved in that kind of stuff and he's like ah you know i'm I'm kind of on my way out like trying Mm -hmm. to bigger and better things you know like i have my fun i made my money and i was like that's good dude because like you like and i'm not trying to say that you did anything wrong other than what's illegal Mm -hmm. but you know like obviously you had a knack for this 
let's transfer it to something that's not going to ruin your life yeah, because exactly. you're really smart. Yeah. And and you know, people respect you just because of your professionalism and you're dealing with people who are going to become increasingly more desperate. Yeah. And you might have this long-time um customer who has developed a serious problem and you think you trust them because you know them for a long time mm-hmm. and then they pull some crazy shit and then you become a person who can't trust anybody ever again and it, it's yep. going to ruin your life basically. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have this much of an in-depth sure. conversation with sure. him but it was like without like that's saying what's going on in, yeah, going on we in were in mind. broad day in public and so yeah. without saying anything like too deterministic about what we're talking about mm-hmm. I was like I'm glad that you're on your way moving out of that sure. because you're too smart for that. Yeah. And but the crazy thing is, those two people that I knew that were major dealers in Spokane, the the scope of their customers is oh three. There was three people. Now that I think about it, um, because I remember somebody who was dealing to a lot of the Target employees. Oh shit! And dude, it's like there's so many more people dealing drugs and using drugs than you think there are, and a lot of it is cocaine and mm-hmm. pills. Yeah. Um, I feel like pills is probably yeah. the easiest, yeah. I would think. Well, and the in thing terms is, of like getting it's away like with and the like other drugs, like they're so obvious when you're addicted to them. Mm-hmm. You have track marks. You you lose your teeth. Like yeah. you're clearly like you can't really smoke meth and then go out in public and you know like maybe a, maybe in the early stages when you've built a little tolerance and you kind of know how you react and stuff. But after yeah. a while you start doing some pretty weird stuff. Yeah. And th- so those things are on the fringes where it's like people obviously know when you're a ma- meth addict, mm-hmm. somebody who does a lot of cocaine, you got to spend a little time with them to understand like that, that something's different unless you catch cues because you've been in their shoes. You know, sure. I've, I've seen when people are doing this and they yeah. got the drip and, or they just keep going to the bathroom. Yeah. It's like, pretty sure they're doing cocaine. doing something yeah. yeah like yeah if you've been around it or you've seen it mm-hmm. enough at least or whatever then yeah like you definitely i mean that's with anything right like yeah you can tell the signs of things if you've been around it enough for so sure. let's transition a little bit because we've yeah, been yeah. talking a lot about, about drugs um I, I would say the the category of drugs that we're talking about are the victim creating drugs sure. cocaine heroin meth sure, sure. pills those types of things but there's another class of drugs that I've seen very few victims of. There's mm. been a couple of people who maybe went off the rails a little bit. They Are you going into psychedelics? Diving into psychedelics. Let's go into it. So the thing with psychedelics is they're different than all the other drugs. Mm. People who use psychedelics are not trying to achieve a euphoric high. MDMA excluded. MDMA is euphoric, but it's also in the class of psychedelics, but it's not... <clears throat> I wouldn't, uh, I want to say that it's closer to like a party drug. Mm. When we're talking about things like mushrooms, ayahuasca, DMT, and um, peyote? LSD, peyote, peyote <laughs> included. Yeah. So, you know, these things have been traditionally for thousands of years used by humans in a tribal and shamanistic way sure. um, for spiritual and medicinal purposes mm-hmm. and stuff. Obviously, we had the 70s, um, psychedelics, big craze and everything to yeah. turn on, tune in and turn out yeah. or whatever they I said. I mean, they're like, even new. A lot of, I mean, a lot of the drugs we were just talking about, but mostly a lot of psychedelics as well were and still in ways used in therapy. Therapy. And yeah. a lot of them like an older version of what older therapy version. is. Now. Yeah. And, and it would be a lot of 
uh, like couples therapy even, you know, okay, to bring in. Well, I mean, that would be like LSD and I guess ecstasy, which is uh, different as well. But like there was a lot yeah, of and just, that's MDMA. That's what I'm talking okay, about. Yeah. And so, so, yeah. There's, so there's a lot of drugs that like not only experimented with, but like were in practice used that like wasn't a big deal at all until whomever decided like, Oh, we're going to make it a big deal yeah, for whatever schedule reasons. One. Schedule like, one. The yeah. worst you can be in that. Mm. I mean, like marijuana, marijuana. Schedule one, are you marijuana me? included yeah. in that one? It's like now it's, that's going to be the first thing to be nationwide legalized. I think because uh, yeah, I would agree. It's becoming increasingly clear that like, there's really like, I mean, in pop culture is a big part of this. Um, mm. You know, it's not that different from the truth, but what you see in pop culture is people who smoke a lot of weed or just chill, like yeah. kind of, they do depict them as burnouts, but it's generally regarded as harmless yeah. and in TV and media and stuff like that. And in the real world, like most people don't consider a pothead to be a violent drug abuser yeah. unless they're doing something else or yeah. something else is going on in their lives, but that's usually not derived or, or, because of the pot mm -hmm. they used to say gateway drug and which I, it's such a dumb term yeah <laughs> I, I think if you want to say that pot is a gateway drug then we also have to say caffeine is a gateway drug nicotine is a gateway drug sugar yep. is a gateway drug yep. because let me tell you like the effects on the brain that sugar has mm -hmm. is identical to what cocaine does to your brain and so it's like talk about gateway drugs you know like i yeah. get hopped up on caffeine and i'm like well sure there's so many if, people who if they don't have a coffee they're raging yeah the i don't have that like i'm not you know? a huge typically when i get busier with school and work and stuff like this quarter there's been like some like two or three weeks of like waves where mm -hmm. i was like i gotta have it just because not not because i woke up but i needed it but because i was like man i'm getting bogged down like i'm yeah. so tired and it's such an effective um alert inducing drug sure, sure and so i like heavily relied on caffeine during those periods but then i don't i go back to my normal and i don't i don't drink coffee when i wake up i don't have an energy drink um it's not a regular thing for me mm -hmm. but like you said there's people who it's like they got to have 12 cups of coffee a day yeah. and their morning doesn't start like there's you know we make jokes about it oh well, yeah there's like there's, i haven't had my coffee yet don't talk to yeah. me we make jokes about there's, it we yeah, put it on t-shirts it's complete yeah, product line of apparel and 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 so and there's a complete societal disconnect yeah. from the fact that that is a drug and an just addiction, like an addiction, like just like all these other ones are. They're having withdrawals yeah. from it, you so, know. Like, how would society feel if we printed shirts out that said "Don't talk to me until I've had my meth"? You know what I mean? Like, right? That's a pretty strong statement to say that, but yeah. we say it with caffeine, mm -hmm. and and I'm not trying to equate the two things in the same way. Sure, like, obviously, of there's addiction, not. and yeah. then there's what the addiction leads to. And meth mm -hmm. is certainly by far millions of times worse than caffeine is ever yes. going to be. Yes. But it's an addiction. It's People an addiction. have to recognize that. At the end that. of the day, like an addiction is an addiction. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you cannot go throughout your day functioning normally for what is normal baseline for you. Right. Without this substance, then at the very least it's a dependency, which is yeah. part of an addiction. And, and I would say, like, even to the point to, like, where you have for people with, like, mental illness and stuff. Yeah. They're dependent on it. But like, still, compulsive craving, mm -hmm. I, I think, is like a immediate. I don't want to say definition, but it, but at least an immediate um, sign like that indicator. you're addicted. Yeah. You know, like like I, I use the nicotine 
pouches and stuff. And I was a smoker when I when I was 16 until about 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, tried vaping and stuff like that. W- tried chew because I hate chew and I thought that that would help it help me quit because sure. I don't like it. Sucked. Didn't work. Ended up getting on the pouches. The pouches are nice. I, I don't have any like distaste for these. And, and I realized that I've been using them for two years and it's mm-hmm. like, Nothing bothers me about them except that I'm addicted to it. Yeah. And so it's straight up an addiction. I do have compulsive cravings for them. If I eat, I need it right after. Like I want it so bad because I'm like, I know it's going to be so satisfying, (laughs) but that's just, that's part of the addiction. Yeah. And, and you know, sugar is addictive, all these different things. And so, but back to psychedelics, back to psychedelics, the the point of what I'm getting at, first of all, psychedelics are not addictive, Mm -hmm. not, um, they're, they're not what's the word um physically addictive okay so like cocaine actually rewires or you know wires yeah. um, neural pathways in your brain to stimulate the pleasure sensor so that you know like you do get a physical addiction to it mm-hmm. um alcohol does something similar sure. where alcohol is one of the most dangerous because um you know you 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 if you're a severe alcoholic um, and you don't get your alcohol, like you can have some serious health yeah. problems. Same, I think benzodiazepines. I was gonna, are, I was gonna say maybe article, it's benzos and not alcohol. Maybe well, I was gonna say the, I was uh, I was gonna bring up side note of like that article but talking about the prohibition of of drugs and whatever. It would be interesting. It's a complete tangent. Side note. It would be interesting to see a study of the prohibition against alcohol in the twenties and you know whatever. And the amount of crime that occurred because of that. That would be interesting. You would have to define crime because obviously like bootlegging and stuff happened. Mm-hmm. But if you take that out of the equation and you look at just violent crime, violent theft crimes. and gangs, because you have Al Capone thing, and things all like them. that. I bet you would see a rise. Well, um, and I think and I think you would see a lot of correlate uh, or um, uh, similarities between what's going on now and mm-hmm. with that. Of course, again, like you could argue, but alcohol is a we'll say a, a less acute health war, a concern than your harder drugs like heroin right. and meth and whatnot. Yeah. But all in all, just because the effect of something is more uh, intense, more um, dangerous, doesn't mean that the behaviors to getting that thing are any different. Yeah. I, I think – Alcohol does lead to a lot of behavioral things, but I mean, so the whole point of what I'm saying is that psychedelics have not been shown to be physically addictive. That doesn't mean that people don't have emotional and mental addictions to them. Like they may have some, you know, I've, I've seen people who took too much or I don't think it's for everybody. Mm. I think if you're a little bit unhinged already, or if you have some predisposition to, um, some, some mental issues, um, it's probably not a good idea for you. But, you know, other than that, like, I've done mushrooms several times. Never was I, like, you know, wanting to pop mushrooms every day that week. And not only that, you get such an immediate tolerance to it that it wouldn't really do anything to you anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to take breaks. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I, I liked mushrooms and still do because, not because of some euphoric high like cocaine gives you that you don't really get that mm-hmm. what you get is a lot of internal insight um you become a lot more aware of 
who you are and how your interactions are. And it's different for everybody. Like, sure. you know, people talk about bad trips and stuff. I've never had a truly bad trip, although I've never taken anything beyond um, four and a half grams of psilocybin mushrooms. I have taken, let's see, I want to, I took a double blotter of acid. So it's two hits of acid once. Okay. Um, and then I took something that I'm pretty sure wasn't acid. Um, it was sold to me as acid, but because it had a metallic taste, acid should have no taste, no odor, nothing. Um, um, because it had a metallic taste that fits pretty congruently with, uh, one of these research chemicals like, t uh, two CIB or something, something like, that. I don't okay. know what they are. I don't know a lot about them, but it did feel different than other acid I had taken. Um, but I never had a bad trip. Mm -hmm. I never like felt like i was in hell and there's demons or whatever like yeah. anything that i was seeing was there it just looked different um you know it's you kind of like the walls crawl textures are very interesting water's very interesting people's faces have different hues to them hmm. um things that are pretty already are in intensely interesting when you're on psychedelics but the point of it is that i used those for you know, growth, spiritual insight, sure. um, po all positive things. And and I feel like I did get that out of that. I never was like, let's go be a party animal. And it, you know, like the, not like what yeah. you would use Coke for, you yeah. don't really use mushrooms for. And I'm sure some people do, they do hippie flipping and well, take it at concerts and stuff, but they're also looking for an experience and a concert can be a transformative experience. It's a great place to, to do psychedelics and have that awesome time with your friends. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. Mm. And and this goes into how, like, I'm, I'm talking about transformative experiences and then the research showing, um, you know, like alternative research for, uh, or alternative therapies for PTSD has been crazy. Um, what I, what Actually, what I think is really interesting is that there's more push towards ketamine for um, like severe traumas and PTSD therapies than some of these other things that are kind of other psychedelics that are on the fringe. And ketamine was like the last thing I would have thought it was going to be approved for these. I get ads on my Facebook all the time for ketamine therapy. And I'm like, I don't want to go into a freaking K hole. Yeah. Like I knew somebody who did ketamine and have I, you, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> have you been seeing those? Um, I think they're, I don't know. I watch a lot of YouTube because I work from home and it's just on the background and, you know, uh, YouTubers or whoever, they'll put in their own ad for something or whatever. Right. Sure. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. not YouTube. It's one, connected but, to their, yeah, yeah. Like it's one of their sponsors. Sure. I keep seeing people advertise and I usually skip through it, but the first thing I hear is microdosing, blah, 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 blah. Like, and I'm sitting here and my brain goes, okay, microdosing on shrooms, microdosing on, on LSD or ass or like, what are you microdosing on? My first thing is shrooms, sure. but I'm sitting here going, what are they? So like, almost always allowed to be advertising that you microdose on. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm not sure. You know, when people talk about microdosing, they're usually talking about mushrooms or acid. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is like that. So that became really popular with like Silicon Valley because it's very competitive, um, mm. coding and tech and stuff like sure. that. And these people are like kind of encouraged to be on the bleeding edge and come up with the creative yep. ideas. So they want something that's going to help them think outside the box. Yep. Um, there was a 
kind of a movement, I guess, of people are like, well, microdose, like you're not high. Mm -hmm. In fact, like I did it. Mm. Um, I did it with both mushrooms and acid. And, but to, to be honest, the, I bought a 10 blotter of that acid that I'm Mm. pretty sure was a research chemical. So that was that time I was talking about where it tasted metallic. Okay. Um, so I took, I took a, a blotter of that. So what's a blotter? Cause I don't, so it's know. just a little tiny. So basically a, a 10 strip would be like, it's like a gum wrapper, the old stick gum wrapper uh, yeah, about the size of a gum wrapper. Okay. Um, just about the size of a gum wrapper. So something like this, and it's got this perforated thing down the middle and then do, 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 do. And there's 10 squares and oh. they, they're dropping the acid on that paper. And so then you just put the paper in your mouth okay. and you can swallow it or, spit it out after 20 30 minutes or something like like it's okay. probably like honestly probably two minutes is enough it's so quickly absorbed mm. and acid is dosed in micrograms so okay. this stuff is so potent that you, like the smallest amount is going to have a huge effect on you yeah so what company is legally allowed to be selling this though because like if this if these well, things are illegal you know what i mean that's what i'm, I'm trying to maybe i should just pay attention to the ad to understand what they're saying but they never ever say what it, it is they just say microdose yeah i'd have this to company see blah blah because... blah i always microdose and i'm like on what yeah like how are you basically advertised marketing this whatever well and that might be know. the reason why you don't know what it is is because they're intentionally being vague but people know when they say microdosing they're talking about some psychedelic yeah um i didn't feel like i got a creative boost from microdosing i did it with both mushrooms and acid i i had much more accessibility to mushrooms mm-hmm. and so i did it with that 10 blotter of acid basically what i did um because there's a dose of acid on each paper right okay one one of those little tiny pieces of paper will send you on an eight hour long trip. Like I didn't want to be involved in that if I'm microdosing. Mm-hmm. So I I cut them up. What I first what I did is I cut them up into quarters, and then I cut each one of those quarters okay. in half. And so what is that like eighths or sixteenths like or Six, something uh, like that? Very eighth, very eighth, small yeah. pieces, and I and I would yeah take half that. and half again as a quarter, and then do another one be an eighth, another one would be a sixteenth. So. Yeah, yeah. So they were eighths. So so I'd put an eighth of this, you know, LSD dose. I think it was a research chemical, and then I would try to spit it out early so that okay. I, you know, I don't know if it really mattered or not, but I didn't want to be flying high all sure. day long. I was just trying to get some kind of microdosing effect from it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of times when I first started doing it, and I'd go to work and like I felt real weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like. Uh, and it also could be placebo effect a little bit too. Like I'm like, oh, people are gonna know I'm on drugs. Sure. Um, but I never felt like I got some creative edge or something. I wasn't doing creative work at the time think- either. But with mushrooms, um, I did that for a longer period of time mm-hmm. because I had a lot of access to it. Um, and I would just, I don't know, I I I do it for a week at a time and then forget to do it for a few days and then I'd decide I was gonna do it for five days and then I'd. You know, I think the longest time I did it for consistently was probably like around two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, where it's just like every day I'm taking a, a very small amount, like a cap or a stem instead okay. of like, you know, like a, a dose of mushrooms would be probably like five or six caps and stems, something like mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm taking a small amount um, and I was writing then. So I, I, I was an English major at the time. Um but at the same time, it's like it's hard to say what kind of effects I had. I was I was not happy in life in general. Sure. And and I'm not I don't wanna 
make this sound like it was the mushrooms, and that's why I wasn't happy. There was a lot of other things going on in my life. It was very early adulthood. I was trying to figure things out, and I had just kind of messed up a lot of things, and so I just wasn't happy in general. So I, I think it was probably the wrong time for me to microdose, basically. But mm. I did end up, you know what? I was microdosing when I wrote my um, cover letter for AmeriCorps, and I got that. I, oh, that's cool. I doubt it was the mushrooms that got <laughs> me that, not. but yeah, you know, it's just I don't know one of those things. Interesting, yeah. I think that there's a lot of potential for therapy um, in in lots of different kinds of therapy in a controlled environment with psychedelics. With psychedelics. There's, there's not potential for abuse. And so, I mean, in some rare cases, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say rare. I know, I want to say it was last year, maybe two years ago in Spokane. Um, there's some people hanging out um, at kind of a house party, but it w- was more like a get together, just a few people. Yeah. And they all either, I think they dropped acid or at least what they thought was acid. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they... things can be funny to you on psychedelics that aren't really funny. Like you just start laughing at, I feel like, I think anytime you're intoxicated, there's those. Yeah. But it's like way more so like Uh at a a level that like, even during it while you're laughing, you don't even understand why it's so funny to you, but you just can't stop. Like it's so Mm. funny. So that's kind of, they call it the gigs, you know, you get the gigs. And so that's kind of, I think what was going on with these guys because they, one of them pulled a pistol out and just oh, shot through a wall and they were just laughing and thought it was so funny and start blasting their guns off. And then, um, somebody ended up getting shot and I feel died. like I heard about this actually. Yeah. This and is how long ago it, this... I, it was either about a year or two years. I want to okay, say, so a year yeah, it was pretty recent. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Okay. But it was in the news and all that. Yeah. So I, I talked to some of my, I guess apparently some of my friends are, maybe one person removed away from this group. Like they okay. know people that know them. Okay. And so I know people that know people that know them. You sure, know what I mean? So sure. this is very like third, fourth hand yeah. information, but it did sound like these guys were already, you know, into other things. And it probably wasn't just acid that they were using that night. Mm. Um, and, and they generally weren't responsible people in the first place. Cause like for me, I always had rules for mm. for when I did psychedelic and it wasn't to be like a strict like you know poindexter kind of sure. guy it was just like to be safe. Yeah. And so set and setting is what that you'll always hear if you look up like I want to try mushrooms the first time what do I do? They'll say set and setting. Mm-hmm. And what they mean is find a place that's safe for you where you're not going to feel like you're going to get in trouble, you're not going to feel like you're going to be judged. Um, and then setting to it's just right time, right time and place. Yep. That's that's yep. all it really is. Right time and place, and make sure that it's safe and comfortable for everybody. Because if you're in an mushrooms or psychedelics in general, will tend to amplify what's already going on around you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a situation where it's already uncomfortable, that's going to be amplified. And you know, like I, it's weird how this has happened so many times in my life. But several times when I took psychedelics, I almost got mugged. (laughs) And so it's the good thing is, is that I was able to like, you know, kind of like the bullshit goes out the door. Like, have you ever been too drunk and then something bad happens? Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, like I can't be a drunk idiot now. I have to fix this or I have to solve this situation. We all need to take care of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. That same reaction happened to me when I was in those sort of treacherous situations and I was um, psychedelically intoxicated. Yeah. Kill and, my high, man. Yeah, and, and I was able to <laughs> yeah. to help and 
get myself out of those situations and everything was fine. But, you know, if you take a higher dose, like, like psychedelics can be inebriating to the point where you need someone, you either need to be in a situation where nothing bad could possibly happen to you, Mm -hmm. or you need to have somebody there who's going to not be intoxicated. Yeah. And so they talk about trip sitters, which that goes back to therapy. The whole idea is that we're going to give people a somewhat heavy dose of psychedelics and we're going to sit there and help them through this. We're going to be sober Mm -hmm. during that situation. And the person who needs the therapy is going to undergo this psychedelic experience. And, and that's where the therapy happens. It's safe. Yeah. And so I think there's a a huge amount of potential for that. I, you know, uh, most of the time that I would hear people talking about doing shrooms or any of that stuff was in high school. I didn't hear it so much when I was in college. In fact, when I was in high school, um, one of the first days that I showed up to the new school that I was going to, I, I was either walking with somebody or sitting on the bus and they saw my arms and I have pretty veiny arms. Mm-hmm. And the girl goes, do you ever do heroin? And I go, what? And, she, and I'm like, um, no, why? She goes, oh, you used to have great veins for heroin. So heroin, I would love it. Just let me know if you ever want some. Oh, my goodness. Like I was just like, what the fuck? Because I grew up in a really small town too, and I moved yeah. to this bigger town with, you know, I grew up in a town where uh, kindergarten through eighth grade, so elementary through middle school, there was 150 students in the same school, yeah, from K through eight, and then I went to a much larger town where my graduating class was 420 people. So I show up to this this high school, completely unaware of anything out here because I'm the new kid in town and everything, and yeah. the first thing. The first interaction I have with somebody essentially is like, oh, you got great arms for shooting up heroin, right? Yeah, it's a Um, little freaky. Yeah. Oh, you guys are into that here. Yeah, (laughs) and that that was the first time as well that I was really exposed to, we'll say, like the the popular kids, who the ones who would go to parties and who would do drugs recreationally, et cetera, et cetera. And and, um, I remember one of the very popular people who was also, you know, a a soccer player, ASB, all this shit. She starts telling everybody that she and her friend or friends are going to go out to a boat and go get high on mushrooms and have a great time. Like they were giddy about it. Like it was just Mm -hmm. this like, you know, it's a fun party drug now kind of thing. It's this experience. And I just sat there going, like, I judge them for that yeah. because it because to me, I um like I said peyote earlier only because like I I don't know why but peyote has always been one of those things that seems like if there's going to be a hallucinant uh, hallucin oh my gosh a, a hallucinogenic drug that thank you. Sure. Yeah, hallucinogenic <laughs> experience that experience. you want to try my brain was my brain has always been like oh um like peyote makes sense. It's always to me been attributed to a spiritual yeah. thing. Whereas shrooms very it's been quickly tainted, by tainted into like, party, Oh, this is party and yeah. have fun or whatever. Yeah. Irresponsibleness, whatever. And that's the only reason why I would judge somebody with shrooms. is like the way they approach. And that's the same with anything. When people sure. would drink, you kind of, society weed. makes it a thing. And then it's like, you kind of don't want to touch it anymore. Yeah. You know? Cause so. it's like, cause it's like be responsible. Cause usually what ends up happening is you hear the horror stories of somebody was high on insert drug and right. something bad happened. 
And then you start hearing more and more and more of those um, stories. And for me, I sit there going, I don't, I don't want to be around those people because yeah. that's the kind of behavior. Again, it's not the drug; it's the behavior that you can expect from from, from using, people, yeah, or or the people around me using it. You know, right. and so when I'm around, so that's what I get turned off by. It's like God, I don't want to be around the person that you know. I have to be concerned it's going to fuck up and do something, cause harm, or just going to ruin my high. You know what yeah. I mean, or or ruin the experience really. So that's that's kind of how I, when I've ever heard people talking about mushrooms more often than not is what turns me off is the person who starts trivializing the whole thing yeah like, being boastful or just like like it's a thing versus the person where it's like like i had no idea you had ever done shrooms and when you told me it was like okay cool fine whatever yeah but it wasn't you didn't approach it like dude i got some shrooms i'm gonna go get high with some friends like it's gonna be a great time let's go do it yeah the whole you know like I mean? get high thing yeah. is like okay you're doing something hedonistic yeah like hedonistic. Hedon- and, yeah 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 and that and that, not that i mean i'm all for hedonism i don't yeah, care yeah, have yeah. a I great mean, time like, but, your high but, but for it's, me, like, it's like <sighs> yeah it makes you wary and it's like i so okay so i have friends that do shrooms and i've only done shrooms with friends I want to say two or three times Mm -hmm. and I've done shrooms probably upwards of 20 times. Um, and the reason why is because it's, it's like everyone is having their own individual experience and it's so heightened when you're on mushrooms and when you're doing it in a group, if you're not all on the same page, it can be very uncomfortable and, and you also don't want to kill anybody else's high. And so if they're having some experience where they feel like they need to strip down naked and, you know, whatever, like, yeah. great, they can go do it, but you're going to feel really uncomfortable, you mm. know, like if you're not on that level. And so, or whatever it is, like if they're wanting to, the thing about like the story you were telling me where they're all going to go out on a boat. Yeah. Nature is great mm. for psychedelics, except I would not want to be on a boat because somebody has to drive that boat yeah and if somebody falls overboard someone and has that to was say, what crossed my like, mind it's very like, dangerous you're just, it, to me it was just like yeah. you're just a very irresponsible person i would not ever want to be around and in and, my mind at times like people like you and if right to do this thing i have to be around people like you and it I turns you off anything to it. from it the other yeah. thing too is that like okay first of all People have different reactions to mushrooms, acid, mm. all of these different. I mean everything. Things. I mean, I, the people who drink, like yeah, some like I was hanging out with somebody who they seem like a perfectly fine person. Yeah, you know, dates whatever, but the moment they would start drinking, they it just became a different person. Oh right? yeah, like, I mean they're yeah. they're super touchy feely, very basically super horny, mm. and it was a turnoff for me because I'm like, if you need to use alcohol to be this there's way, something yeah alcohol is a big going one for on that. Yeah, yeah there's and something usually that relates on. to traumatic relationships sure. where it's like the only time they ever had um emotional contact mm. was when they were both drunk and probably they just both weren't happy in the situation and they yep. had to drink to even get to get that there. situation yep. but the thing about psychedelics in general so most people that i know that are experienced in psychedelics most of them prefer acid and I am on the opposite side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Every time I did acid, to me, it felt kind of like clinical. Um, mm-hmm. And a, a big part of that may be because 
Um, I research all this shit before I ever put anything into my body. Like back in those experimental days, like I was on Arrowhead trip reports, like mm. reading about this stuff and researching, like, what is this? You know, and so yeah. I had this idea from my very early days of experimenting with things like mushrooms grow from the ground. They're all natural. Like they're just naturally occurring psychedelics. Sure. Whereas LSD is made in a lab. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lysergic acid dithalamide. Okay. Um, I want to say uh, Albert Hoffman or something like that. You might may have heard of Bicycle Day. This guy synthesized so. acid in the lab. Um, and he was actually working on some other kind of drug. I can't remember what it was. But remember I said acid is really potent? Mm-hmm. So he synthesized this stuff. Doesn't really know anything about it, what it does. Like he's working on some other kind of drug that's not a, a, a fun drug, like yeah. like pharmaceutical type drug. Sure. Um, and it gets on his fingertip. And because it's such a potent drug and he has this concentrated form that he made – it did absor- uh, absorb subdermally, mm. um, or der- dermally, I guess. I don't know how you would say that. Um, yeah. Words. And then he went <laughs> about the rest of his day. He went to go ride his bike home, and he had the most amazing, intense trip of his life. And then he starts writing about it, and he's the father of LSD. Okay. Um, but anyways, that was all. the whole point of what I'm saying is that the people I know that are psychedelically experienced tend to prefer acid, and I always tended to prefer mushrooms because acid felt very clinical and and just, I don't know, a little bit jarring to me, whereas mushrooms was always a smooth ride. Mm. But I also hear a lot of people get pukey with mushrooms, like they'll eat them and then they'll throw them up, um, mm. or they'll just feel sick the whole time. They just won't have a great time. The benefit is that mushrooms tends to be about a four to six hour trip mm. where you you take it about 45 minutes later you're feeling something and then in the next hour it's just rising and so so at an hour 45 it's still like coming up and you're like starting to experience new things and like mm. oh everything looks really funny i maybe i'm thinking a little bit differently um, you're more in tuned with what's going on about two hours is where you're at your peak. It's probably not going to get any stronger. And for me, I used to always write notes. So I, I, I would write, I put a sticky note on my fridge, um, took the mushrooms at this time. And then I would write down the exact time on the fridge that should be my peak two hours later. Okay. So that if it was feeling overwhelming, because the rising feeling does feel overwhelming, you keep getting more and more intoxicated and it's scary. You're like, oh, how much What's further? Stop? Yeah. How much further is this gonna go? Am I gonna completely forget about reality and who I am? And I'll, you, you freak out a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you're worried that it might become really strong. Yeah. And then I would walk by the fridge and look at that and be like, oh, it's I'm two hours in. It, this is an easy ride now. Like I'm obviously I'm handling this. Yeah. I, it's not. I'm not. It's not. I'm not too fucked up to think properly. So. The rest of the trip is just fun after two hours for me. That's how it was. I, mm. I would write that note and then I'd see that and I'd be like, great, I'm at my peak. It can't get any more intense now. Um, and then usually I'd ride that for about two hours. Mm. And then I, I, you can physically notice that it's starting to decrease and you're coming down. I, I've always enjoyed come downs on every drug that I've ever tried. Mm. A lot of people have issues with come downs on other things like cocaine or whatever. Mm. Like, you know, they got to do it every 15 minutes. I always just felt great. I never had a problem with it. Yeah. It's probably why I didn't become an addict. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because people were like, oh, I got to do more. I'm coming down. Whereas me, I'm just like kind of coasting. Yeah. And I get that afterglow. You get a strong afterglow with mushrooms. Like, you just physically feel, 
I mean, I think people even look like this healthy glow, like, you know, the pregnancy glow, Mm -hmm. people who took mushrooms. And then when the trip fades away and they're sober and stuff, like they look really healthy. It's weird. Like it's probably all the endorphins coming in blood flow and stuff. But anyways, inverse of that with acid is usually closer to six to eight hours and could be longer depending on how much you take. But that's a whole fucking day. Whereas like four to six hours and really in the last two hours of that trip, like you know, if if somebody comes by unexpected and you're in the last two hours of the trip, like you're probably okay. Mm -hmm. You can probably pass that off. Whereas with acid, like I was always exhausted at the end of the trip. Like it's been eight hours of me just like tripping balls, like having a real hard time keeping a grip on reality mm. it's to me that was exhausting i needed a full day and the next day and i actually planned that for mushrooms too as part of like the rules like sure. i would only ever do mushrooms if i had four to six hours in uninterrupted like no one's gonna bother me i don't have anything due or to go to work or anything like that yeah. right and then i need to have the next day i need to at least have some me time scheduled to kind of process like the emotions and and just the experience that I had. And I think that's what really kept it special for me is that I treated it like something special instead of something trivial, like you were saying mm-hmm. with, with the friends that went on yeah. the boat and stuff. Yeah. And so peyote, though, I'm pretty sure peyote is a longer, like, 10-hour type. 10 I feel like it hour. has to be. Everything I've ever seen on it has always been Hollywood or heard about yeah. you know, Native Americans and stuff. And, like, it's right. a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. An actual journey. Yeah. And you um, may end up somewhere you didn't think. <laughs> <laughs> like, who knows? I've always really wanted to do ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, at least since I started experimenting and learning about these things. And, like, the more I heard and learned about ayahuasca, I was like, this, this is, like, kind of, this is it. You know, like I like all the psychedelics I've done, I've been seeking like spiritual growth. Mm. I think ayahuasca is like very acutely defined for that in, in such a nice way, but it also seems terrifying. Yeah. And so the what ayahuasca the psychedelic component of ayahuasca is dimethyltryptamine, DMT. You might have heard oh, of that. Okay, yeah. It's called ayahuasca because there's a vine that grows that is the ayahuasca vine Mm -hmm. and that vine is a i want to say it's a gaba in or maoi inhibitor uh monooxy something maoi inhibitor okay they combine that with another plant that has dmt in it if you just ate that other plant that has dmt in it it would do nothing to you because you have to have basically what happens is it you eat it um your body digests it and there's an enzyme that deactivates the dmt and and it's the maoi enzyme or whatever if you when they combine it they make like this kind of tea or Mm, soupy drink type of thing there you're taking it with something that deactivates that enzyme the ayahuasca vine and that's what allows the DMT to take effect and be absorbed. And ayahuasca is a really potent form of DMT because if if you synthesize DMT in a lab, it comes out in crystal form and you can smoke that, mm. it's about a 10 to 12 minute trip. And you'll mm. have some crazy experience for sure. And it might feel like a lot longer to you, but it's actually only 10 to 12 minutes. Whereas when you drink ayahuasca, because you're ingesting it instead of smoking it, yeah. 
it's a much longer and everything and it's a much longer absorption period and you've deactivated that enzyme those kinds of things scare me a little bit because it's so long and i mean even trying to think about if i was to like obtain dmt crystal powder or whatever and smoke that it's a little scary to me because it's like uh, do you know much about dmt experiences Mm -mm. i encourage you to research is that the one um like bath salts and shit or no, no that's different no bath, people, like, bath salts, faces off and shit um bath salts is is a different thing it's it's probably closer to like ketamine like a disassociative oh okay. um so disassociatives and psychedelics are often compared they're very different have you ever heard of anybody um drinking robitussin they used to call it robo tripping um i've actually only more recently heard people saying something about robotism but like yeah, I've it was never, probably me <laughs> maybe it could have been it honestly so, it could have been i mean <laughs> so i don't know if you can anymore but you used to be able to buy robitussin that only had dextromethorphan in it and it didn't have guafacine or how i'm probably pronouncing these things wrong i'm not a chemist i'm not a pharmacist sure um but anyways it's guafacine which you can at least get how i'm saying it is similar to how it's spelled right yeah that was an expectorant, so basically it makes uh, makes you bring the mucus out. Okay. Um, the thing about that is that you will get sick if you take too much of that. Mm-hmm. You'll throw up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now those two things are used together. De- dextromethorphan was just cough syrup. And it's not like codeine. It wasn't an opiate high. It's a disassociative. Yeah. And so if you take enough dextromethorphan, um, you... Okay, the best the best way I, I mean all I can do is really tell you my experience with it. I I tried messing around with this stuff. I would buy the Robitussin that only had DXM in it, um, drink a whole bottle, and I'd get really itchy, like prickly itchy, hmm. and like your skin gets flushed, and then um, you just kind of in this like it's like an alternate reality is what it feels like. Okay. Um, I remember one time I did that. I I like literally thought I was going to get in so much trouble because I was in the dorms. I just told everyone I was sick and I had my little cough syrup bottle there and I had become so complacent and so like, fuck it, who cares that I had a goddamn bendy straw in the bottle and I was just like <laughs> sucking out of this <laughs> bottle. You know, nobody said anything. There's really nobody there. Yeah. A, a faculty member ended up coming in and I was like, oh shit, but they didn't even see it. They didn't notice it. They didn't say anything. Yeah. Anyways, they probably that, didn't know anything yeah. about it. Like, Oh, that same sick. day, I used to smoke cigarettes during this time. And so I went outside to go smoke a cigarette and I went and sat at the bus stop that was right outside the dorms. Um, and it was like, it was dusk. So it was starting to get dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm over here chain smoking cigarettes. I'm in, feeling like I'm in some kind of parallel world to the real world. You know, everything just feels a little different. Um, the itchiness fades after a while. Like it's when it onsets, you feel prickly and itchy. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I should just walk around so I'm not sitting here chain smoking. So I'll walk down to the next bus stop. So I don't even know if I actually ever did walk down to the next bus stop. Hmm. What I perceived is that I walked down to the next bus stop and then went through the same process again where I was like, I probably shouldn't just sit around here. I should go walk. I walked down to another bus stop. And then eventually it was like, okay, I need to go home. And I got up and I was about to walk. And I realized like I'm still at the bus stop by the dorms i'm like did i walk down to the other one and come back here or did i never leave i don't know honestly didn't know gotcha and so it was a very 
that that was very different than any other psychedelics experience I've had. And and the point of it is is that it's a dissociative experience. Mm. And they call it a dissociative because you disassociate from your own personality your own ego ego is a big thing and um when you start reading trip reports and stuff people talk about ego death Mm. oh i have heard of this yeah that can be uncomfortable when you're on the edge of it and so like when i would take mushrooms and i i was afraid to take too much right so Mm. i tried taking a lower dose but then you're kind of on this edge where it's like your psyche is starting to like I would get really self-conscious basically Mm -hmm. like everything about me that I tell myself that is like my ego. Like I, I'm a, I'm a nice person. I am, you know, at least mildly good looking and Mm -hmm. I don't really care what people think about me. Right. Nice haircut by the way. (laughs) No, no, no. But like that all goes out the window and suddenly I would be really self-conscious. And like, I remember we went somewhere, um, uh, this time I took acid actually. And I remember we got out of the car and we were at this like little creek that had this smooth stone. And we ended up like going into the creek and like slip and sliding it. You mm-hmm. know, it was a great time. But when I got out of the car, like I was wearing these really thin shorts and like you could see like my, the shape, at my least. imprint, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And I remember being really self-conscious of it. Like I was like, everyone could see me. And I don't even know if it was really that apparent. Yeah. Like, it You're probably, just aware of it. I was aware of it. Yeah. And it was probably to me like the most apparent thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I said something to my friend about it, and he's like, he just gave me a hug, and he's like, "Ah, oh, don't you worry." About <laughs> oh, you're it. So and we cute. went and had we went yeah. and had a great time. But yeah, it, that was like one of those times where I was in between the full on like release of your, um, your your holding ego. on to this ego yeah. of who you are and who you think you are and who you think other people think you are. And I, and I wasn't, you know, I was in between, like it felt like he was pulling away from me and I didn't want to let it go. And then yeah. I looked down and I was like, everyone's going to think I'm weird. Like <laughs> you have this weird thing. And yeah. so with, with, with disassociatives like ketamine, um, you completely disassociate from your whole identity. You don't like, you're not a person anymore. People talk about the K hole mm. where you, they, I guess you get this, I've never done it, but you have the sensation of being in this pit and, mm. and you're just, you're kind of nothing. You feel like you're nothing like, you, mm. like, and I don't mean to say that in like a derogatory yeah, yeah, yeah. way. Like you're just, you're just, it, you no longer feel like a thing. Yeah. And, and that sounds scary to me. And That's so pretty, that would be real trippy. So I'm afraid of some of that stuff. I, I, you know, even like the experimenting I've done with mushrooms, like I never did anything that I wasn't comfortable with. Like I, you know, I'm a pretty yeah. rational, logical person and I want to be, um, I, I want to be aware and in control and present in reality. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be a, a drugged out, hippie that has some unhinged idea of what's really going on around me and so those things scare me a little bit even like doing them in a a controlled environment i'm also afraid of what i might see you should read some trip reports because a lot of people they talk about meeting entities i would so i i I hear people say this right but it's usually again like i have my own perceived bias on people because usually the things that i'm hearing are coming from influencers celebrities those kind of things and at some points like like you're just making it a hip cool pop culture thing now versus 
I don't know, like, like it does no, taint it in a way. Yeah, like so, it takes away from like, are are we using this for, you know, spiritual growth or personal growth or whatever? Or are we just trying to be get more likes? You and, know, like this yeah, person or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to do a quick chit chat about anything else? Well. I it's mean, your I, call. I guess uh, since this is this is going to be released on Thursday, it sounds like yeah. So. This will be this will be released uh, after um, after the yeah. Say, yeah. Do you and then so, we'll wrap it up, bud. Since you haven't seen it, and Dude, uh, a nice box too. There's the you ring. I had to carry that around with me all day because I didn't want Cherry to see me like digging it out of the hiding spot that I had right before we go hiking. And dude, it, that's today was gorgeous. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm so excited. It's pale blue diamond. That's I'm, gorgeous, I'm excited, man. man. That's it's, awesome. Uh, it'll be cool. And it'll be a big weight off my chest because like just trying to um plan, organize, and hide this yeah. thing from Cherry the whole yeah. time. She's really smart and really perceptive. And it's like and you sit there, I'm like, I'm deceiving her. It's hard to keep a yeah. secret from her. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm so glad that after this, like, I don't have to worry about it. Dude, know? that's so cool. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I'm yeah. excited because, like, you know, a group of us are gonna be getting together tomorrow, right uh, after in the evening. Like basically, you know? right. A- yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So I'm really, I'm really excited to. Yeah, see, and then, you know, I think it'll be all. good because it's like we already have something to do where we're all gonna be together, and so yeah. we can celebrate and have a great time. Congrats in advance, like. Yeah. Dude, thanks, that's man. awesome. Well, we're gonna call that a podcast. Thanks for joining, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Dude, I feel like, like I, I would. Love it's to keep hard doing this not again. to like keep going, keep going deeper and you. deeper. All right. Well, hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Where Am I Going Podcast. Uh, email us if you want. Leave a comment. Um, follow us wherever, all the things and stuff. That's it. Bye. See ya.